and welcome to today's episode of Learn From A Stranger. Today I have um, a guest I wanted to meet for uh, quite some time. He's a um, friend of my husband and we have like tons of together colleagues from um, the game industry in Norway together. But we actually never managed to, to meet outside of one party I barely remember because I met a ton of people that day. My guest today is called uh, Colin Craig. Hi Colin. Hello. <laughs> Hello. He's Canadian, uh, he comes from Toronto, but uh, moved all around the world. I hope you tell us about that. Um, I took the, um, the freedom to Google Canada a bit, and I found out that uh, it's the second largest country in the world. Um, there live 35 million people there, so there's basically nobody there. Uh, when you walk through the, through the districts, um, most people, 80% of the people actually live uh, to, close to the south border. Um, which is not just US border, which is also very interesting. Um, it's also um, a few islands of uh, uh, France and uh, very complicated. You can Google it if you want. It's six time zones in Canada and 60% of the world's lakes are in Canada. Uh, mostly because of the Hudson Bay area, which is basically just lakes. It's like two, three million lakes there. 30% uh, of the world's fresh water is in Canada, 10% of the world's forest and 60% of the world's polar bears. Yep. So I think Canada is actually a pretty interesting country. Oh, it's fascinating. Uh, but uh, we're, we're really, like you said, a very large country. But it's it's kind of funny traveling around where it's like, oh, you're from Canada. Do you know Steve? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's what I did immediately. I tried to find out, like, how many people is there really in Toronto when nobody lives in Canada? And turns out it's six million people, so more than Norwegians. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's it's awfully big big country but Canada and Norway are, are, are very similar like uh, how how I ended up over here was uh, I, I have a passion for kind of you know travel and adventures um, and one of my my first you know longer solo ones out of the country I went to uh, Thailand uh, mm -hmm. because I'd heard about this uh, amazing spot where a friend of mine she'd been teaching English in Korea and then gone to this kind of party island and then decided she was going to live there and was uh, very sad that no one was going to come and visit her. And I was like, are you kidding? That sounds great. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely up for a visit. So I, I went over there um, and uh, I met a, a nice Swedish girl uh, on the beach. And, you know, life took its course. And then, you know, uh, sort of three, four years later, sort of, you know, woke up in Sweden uh, you know, married in Sweden. I'm like, how did I'm in Sweden? How did this happen? Ask me. I moved to Norway to get married in Norway, and I hate the cold. <laughs> yeah, you hate the cold. I hate the cold. <laughs> did you? You're from Austria, is that right? Yeah, but I, I didn't grow up in the mountains. I grew up next to the Danube. Oh, okay. So it's very mild climate there, and of course we have winter, but you know a few weeks of winter and like three months of winter-ish and the rest is spring, autumn, actual summer. Um, and winter get the, every, every year it gets warmer and warmer. So it's not really that harsh winters. Yeah, you get um, actual winter in Oslo. And, you know, I, I actually miss it a little. Like I, when I was in Oslo, I lived on a big, uh, that little little island in the city. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the Funcom office where I, I worked with your husband, Morten, uh, was uh, just just off that so it was a very strange experience my my ex-wife was working at the kind of the horse farm uh, that was just on this little island in the middle of the city and they they gave her a little house um, little log cabin so I would 
you know, get up in the morning and, you know, walk the dog in the forest. Not so you actually lived in the, fol- in the Folkemuseum? Well, no, well, when the Swedish king built the Folkemuseet, uh, what he was trying to do was make a version of this Skansen. It's like this, like, cultural, historic sort of park in the middle of Stockholm mm-hmm. where they took all sorts of old buildings from all over the country and moved them and preserved them there. It's like a part of history. He tried to do the same thing in Oslo. Exactly, because I just wanted to explain for the listeners who don't know Bygdø. Bygdø is a half island in Oslo, in the Oslo Fjord. And it's actually not that big, but it's quite a lot of museums there. So it's kind of the museum island of Oslo. So when you're a tourist, you will definitely see Bygdø uh, in the yeah. first weekend in Oslo. Yeah, but the, the st- so you actually lived in one of those huts. I, I did. Long- one of the, uh, wow. the, the Swedish uh, kings, we'll call it his ambition level, was maybe a little high. So the area that he set, he set a, like off, like fenced off, that was going to be this museum was huge. It was really, yeah. really big. So when they were moving these these houses from all over the place, um, a lot of them kind of ended up sort of like outside what is sort of like the modern fence for this museum. Mm-hmm. So we ended up living in this log cabin that was like from the 1800s. That's uh, so cool. <laughs> but had been, you you can see it. I'll have to I'll have to send you a link, and you know you can point at it on the blog or something because uh, yes, yeah, so other people picture can from, visit from the wood yeah. cabin. I would I would love that. It sounds fun. Oh, it was yeah. amazing. I lived in the center of the city, right? Basically, I could walk to work in twenty minutes. Uh, my nearest neighbor was uh, this castle on Bigda called Oscar's Hall, which is. Uh, it's called a. It was called a lust slot, which is like a Norwegian it's a, translation. It's a summer house. Like, it's like yeah. fun castle. I think is what it translates to. Well, in, in German, it's actually lusthaus, which is which is the same word. It's basically, um, it's not. It's, it doesn't really mean fun. It's more like it's the one you go for pleasure. So it's like basically a summer castle. Yes, uh, it's like a German translation. Castle. It's like mm. people wouldn't go to to live there. It would be more they would have parties there by the water. Yeah. So my nearest neighbor, neighbor was a castle. Um, there was the fanciest address I've ever had because it's, uh, you know, Colin Craig at the uh, Oscars Halbein. I didn't have a number. It was just the road name. And it was That's the so name cool. of the castle, which was really cool. <laughs> but I'd get up in the morning, take the dog out for a walk in the forest, see no other houses but a castle, um, mm-hmm. you know, put the dog back inside. And then I would walk to work and I would I would push cows out of my way in the field. Uh, to get get through to the road, and then I would work at a technology company, and I would be able to walk to work in like 16, 17 minutes. It was a very strange experience, but it was just absolutely wonderful. Did you have like extra boots for the way to work through the mud? I did. I had to because <laughs> some of those first winters, there was like uh, like 75 centimeters a meter of snow, right? So you're like, I had boots like up to my knees that I bought from the, the like kind of the Norwegian farmer shop. And I wore like these long pants to be able to walk through the woods. Oh, that's fantastic. And then I would make video games all day. It's a very, very strange experience. That that island's fantastic. If anyone's visiting Oslo, they've got the the Folkemuseet, which is like the People's Museum. It's got all sorts of old history and and they've got all sorts of old breeds of animals uh, Mm. that uh, like old versions of cows that are not, you know, as economically viable to, you know, to farm for meat or milk. Uh, they preserve the breeds, so they're in there. They're in that uh, uh, that that museum. You mentioned uh, the party where we actually got to meet 
Yeah, I just wanted to change the topic back to uh, back to you actually, and your uh, not your cars, but your you actually work because uh, you worked at uh, in in the games industry for for quite a lot of uh, years. Uh, would you like try to tell sure. a little bit about that? Absolutely, mm -hmm. I'm 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 still working in the game industry. You do. I'm, I'm taking a little <laughs> bit of time off right now before the start of the next project. Um. Yes, so I I ended up in the game industry by by accident. Actually, uh, I grew up in the this in the sort of seventies and eighties, uh, where you know the first computer that was in my house was literally one of those first Apple, you know, personal computers that got shipped in an envelope, uh, and then you had to my uh, civil engineer father like soldered chips together uh, to to make this thing work. Uh, my mother it's like an was, IKEA computer. <laughs> oh yeah, my my mother was one of the first graduates uh, in computer science, uh, or female graduates anyway, uh, from Waterloo University in Canada. Uh, she ended up having a, a remarkable, interesting career. Uh, she was uh, the ended her career as the vice president of IT uh, for what was ATI, the graphics card maker. Oh really? And for a a woman to have you know kind of in a male dominated industry, uh, worked her way up to that kind of position. Uh, not even now in 2020, there's still issues with it, but I can't even imagine what it would have been like in, you know, the, in the eighties and the nineties. Uh, but I imagine she did it by being, you know, twice as smart, twice as focused and twice as dangerous as all the men around her. Um, mm -hmm. but I ended up in the game industry by mistake. I'd, I'd moved over to Sweden. I, in Canada, I'd been working in uh, kind of project management, recruitment, and uh, consulting in a big consulting mm -hmm. firm. So there would be, you know, big projects. And then we would bid on, you know, the ability of our company to do that or provide the staffing. And then we'd actually have to go and find the people to do that. Um, and when I was going to move over to Sweden, I firmly had it in my mind that I was not going to be able to call people that didn't know me and convince them to leave their job and come to work for me instead uh, in Swedish. That was never going to happen. <laughs> Did so, you speak Swedish at that point? Oh, God, nothing. No, I was <laughs> just totally and completely hopeless. Like, now I'm just mostly hopeless. Um, oh, you still don't you oh, no, I, the I, language yet? Oh, no, I can I can get by, but, you know, my, my accent is terrible. Uh, I have that, okay. mm. like, a TV commercial or radio commercial bad American accent that they use to make people laugh on, you know, like Norwegian and Swedish radio. Okay, um, yeah. that's something about English speakers, uh, I think, because like, <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure I have still an accent, but like, if I talk to people in in Norwegian, they probably won't know immediately I'm not Norwegian. No, they probably know like something's off, but not they, like you're obviously <laughs> foreigner, like you suck. They, <laughs> it, they it's not there anymore. Definitely no. <laughs> but uh, I spent like six or so years up in Norway, and I'd spent four years in Sweden, and now I'm mm. back in Sweden and what I've discovered is I actually only have one like extra language slot besides English. <laughs> and but that said, Swedish and Norwegian is very close to each other. It, it is, but it's not exactly the same. I was doing an interview on Swedish radio uh, and it had to be in, in Swedish because it was like the national radio station. So, you know, I'm sort of doing my best and uh, nobody wants to, uh, You know, no one wants to tell you you're doing a bad job or correct you because that's kind of rude in Scandinavian culture, right? So um, in Norwegian, and, you know, I might even be wrong about this, but, you know, you would, to loga is to, like, make something. 
Um, logger. Mm. Yes. So you could, you know, logger, you know, daughter's spiel, like make a video game. Yeah. So I said logger daughter's spiel about 15, 20 times uh, during this interview. And, you know, at the end, everyone was like, yeah, that's, I was like, was that okay? Was it understandable? And everyone's like, you know, you know, giving me the thumbs up. Yeah, that was great. No problem. Uh, and my brother-in-law and uh, his family, uh, we were listening to it later and they were literally crying they were laughing so hard because log is like to cook like to fry something in like a pan oh really so, in swedish yeah yes in swedish so i was yeah. like like frying up video games is what i kept <laughs> i kept saying would be the direct translation and he was saying a friend of his had been listening to it in the car and it almost crashed because he was laughing so hard <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they kept winding it back and listening to it again and laughing it was a uh, very supportive very funny though <laughs> But, uh, yeah, there's some words that are, are different than the words that are the same. But, uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm still speaking a blend of uh, Swedish and, and Norwegian. It's getting even better the, the, now. The fun thing about it is it is it is different. It's different languages. But um, I would understand, like, especially in Stockholm, I do understand quite a bit what people say as long as they talk uh, a little considerate, like yes, yeah. a bit more clear or slower to me. I don't understand everything, but quite a lot, uh, especially the written languages when you first get used to it you you kind of get it um and that also said danish and norwegian have basically the same written language there's just uh, some words uh, which are different so like on the packages of food you buy you will just see a dk dk and nk for norwegian and danish and then you just see one language written there because it's so similar that it's not they they don't have to be bothered to write it double um it's but not they worth speak very over. different, so you don't actually understand the Danish and Norwegian TV or uh, and and radio. They, they are not even bothered translating it. So when um, the Swedish uh, a Swedish person is interviewed or they they show something from Swedish TV or or radio, they don't even translate it. So me as a foreigner moving to Norway, I kind of had to learn. The basics, so I understand yeah. Swedish, or I couldn't follow. Yes, you, you have to, you have to learn. But one of the challenges here is that everybody speaks like next to perfect English. I would I would say that the English spoken in Norway, Norway or in Sweden is probably better technically, you know, performed English uh, than the English spoken in most North American cities. It's perfect, right? So as soon as you would hear that, you know, mysterious English accent when someone is, is, you know, trying to painfully communicate something to you in Norwegian or Swedish, they'll immediately switch to English because it's fun for them. That's uh, true. And mm. you will learn nothing. Right? So Especially in the games industry. It's, oh, uh, yeah. it's often yeah. easier to speak English than Norwegian. Actually. Absolutely. And yeah. I had this problem with my team. At one point, we, you know, I recognized that I was the only person left. Uh, within the group who is not, you know, either a Swedish or native Norwegian speaker. And I said, you know, this is ridiculous. Like uh, you guys are all, you know, 15 of you are speaking a different language all the time to be able to, you know, deal with me. It's like, I do speak this language. It's not a problem. We can switch. And they were all sad. They're like, but we like speaking English. (laughs) But what I liked in the games industry is actually how how tolerant people are towards languages. Like I worked uh, for Megapop and there was a few people that actually didn't speak Norwegian. So we all spoke English uh, in, in, in Megapop. And even sometimes when nobody was left in a room who didn't speak Norwegian, like we just were so used in speaking English yeah. that it took us like a few minutes to figure out, oh yeah, we can switch. And then it was needless. Like nobody t- said something. We just switched. 
And at one point, like I speak English with my husband at home yeah. and German with my kids. And my husband speaks Norwegian with the kids. So we have like yeah. three languages in our house every day. Absolutely. So you're super used to it. Um, but at one point at Megapop, uh, Austrians started working there. And I'm, I'm, I'm from Austria. So uh, he speaks my German, right? Yep. <laughs> and uh, then it all got screwed over. Like I turned around and spoke a different language to everybody. And <laughs> my brain couldn't uh, couldn't decide anymore who is who. So I just turned around and spoke German to Norwegians and yep. English. To, <laughs> so I kind of like, it just, I, I lost it. No, that it's, it's very complicated. My my favorite is always when I run into like, you know, an American or a Canadian or, you know, someone who's a native English speaker, but because we've met socially in Swedish, it's like you're you're at like a cocktail party. Mm. And, you know, everyone is speaking Swedish and then the Swedish person leaves and you're you're two idiots speaking to each other in Swedish when you're both like North American. <laughs> and after mm. a few minutes, you're like, what are we doing? This is this is brutal. <laughs> like, let's just, let's switch back. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I, when I was, when I was moving over to Sweden, I, you know, I recognized I wasn't going to be able to do that. So I went back and I did a uh, kind of a technical education over sort of 18 months. One of these, you know, masters in information technology where they mm-hmm. you know, literally day one is, you know, this is a double click and you're terrified, <laughs> you know, like, what did I just give these guys like, you know, 300,000 kroner, $30,000 for, but <laughs> By the end of the program, you are, you know, building web applications, uh, you know, accessing a DB2 database backend that you have built yourself uh, through server resident applications that, you know, these programs or products and programs were put together by IBM together with this school. And, you know, probably 50% of the class didn't make it. It was hard. Right. So I, I was like, okay, I have a technical education. You know, the web is important now. There's a shortage of developers. And I'm moving over to Sweden, and I'm feeling pretty good about this. But this was in the 2001. This mm-hmm. is right as the IT bubble exploded, where all these uh, web companies that you know all figured they were all worth a billion dollars um, suddenly ceased to exist when everyone realized that uh, they were not worth a billion dollars. So oh, yes. <laughs> there was hundreds of people, thousands of people with. Uh, even in the area that I was in with like relevant five, 10 years of experience, they were all like applying for entry level jobs just to be able to work because it was such a horrible implosion of the marketplace. So I ended up doing incredibly, you know, sexy jobs in Sweden. My first, first job in Sweden was uh, cleaning one of the hotels downtown at four o'clock in the morning. Cause mm-hmm. it was, it was the job that I could get and I wasn't going to, you know, sit on my ass after looking I sent out over 300 applications for jobs, and I got absolutely nowhere. Oh, that's devastating. Uh, yeah. Oh, it was, it was uh, you know, mm. this is what's called building character, I think is what some people would but, say. But I did the same when I moved here, too. I think as yeah. a foreigner who doesn't speak the language yet, yeah. doesn't know the culture yet, I think it's actually a good experience to do that kind of jobs. It, it's, yeah. As you said, it's character building, but it's also um, you get to know the society from... Yeah. From where other people's, you know, where, where, where everybody should see it really. Yes. Like, and how is it to get underpaid, have a really hard job, be yeah. like kind of a bit this this outlaw, <laughs> yeah. the, the the bottom of society, uh, but but still work yourself up. I think it's a Absolutely. really good experience. And, and mm. you know, just to be sure that, you know, nobody who listens to this thinks we're, you know, like trash talking, you know, Norwegian or, or Swedish society, not being able to find a job. I, I guarantee if you moved to, to Canada, to Toronto, and spoke no English, uh, 
you know, these are going to be the opportunities you're going to be offered there too. You're going to have course, to learn the yeah, language. Yeah. You're going to have to fit yeah. in. Yeah, but, yeah. So uh, that's 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 just how it is to be a foreigner and, and new yeah. to the country. Yeah, I actually yeah. think uh, Scandinavia is especially, especially if you look white. Like uh, racism is not the biggest problem here, but I did see in my language course that I was white enough, uh, bright hair. You know, like I look Norwegian. Um, I had no troubles. Like I had to learn a language. I had to work my way up, but it was no problem. I I got served to me, and. I think that would be much harder in any other country, really. Um, yeah. Well, mm. I, I, I'm I'm not sure about the racism aspect. I still think that that is, you know, I, I do believe that's a problem. And I, I, you know, I didn't have to deal with that as you know, like sort of university educated white guy arriving exactly. in the country. Yeah. No, it's definitely a problem. A like, woman. it was. Uh, yeah. The the, pe- probably... the people in my language class they to struggle partially a lot. Um, Especially the the Spanish speakers because they have troubles learning uh, learning the um, Norwegian. It's hard for them to pronounce the S's, and so yes, you always yeah. hear uh, the foreigners, um, even if the you know the grammar is correct and yeah. everything is correct. I was hmm. terrible with the language, like like uh, Norwegian uh, ha- and Swedish. They they have uh, three letters and sounds that we don't. Like you've mm-hmm. got the you know the. O, which is this A with a circle over the top, the A with two dots over the top mm-hmm. of it, which is A, and this is the U, uh, which is, you know, the O with two dots, or in Norway, the O with the line drawn through. Mm-hmm. And we don't have any of those. And it's like yeah. my ex had two friends. There was uh, like Olse and Olse. And and I, <laughs> I couldn't hear the difference between those two names. I see that. So I would just have to wait and see who would show up. Like, and until you can actually hear the difference, you're just, you're not going to be able to speak it. Like, Olsa mm-hmm. was, was incredibly kind. Uh, and, you know, she's like, you know, hey, you know, it, it means a lot to me that you're, you're trying, right? But the way you pronounce my name is like, Olsa, it's, this is like the word that we use to describe that burning smell you get when you're cooking and cooking badly, right? <laughs> So it, it took me a long time to get to the point where, you know, people could begin to guess what I was trying to say. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, my, my brother-in-law, who is, uh, you know, s- s- or ex-brother-in-law at this point, uh, was, you know, a, a good friend of mine at that point because we discovered we had an awful lot in common, both being kind of video game nerds and comic books and all this kind of stuff. So I moved over there. You know, we got to get to know each other quite well. And then he up and moved to, to Oslo to, you know, live out his dream of working at, at Funcom, a video game company. Uh, yeah. So after he'd been up there for a year or so, and I'd been playing his game all the time because, you know, I, I'd been un- unemployed or, uh, you know, working nights or that kind of thing. He was like, you know, well, I think you'd be really good at this. You know, come, come and visit and, you know, and, you know, maybe we can, you know, get you an interview. And, uh. I remember visiting the office for the very first time and being surprised that it was like a real office. Like <laughs> growing it's up. It's a real job. Yeah, it's a I, real I had the job. same. I had the yeah. same. It's like, you guys really work, right? In the games industry. It's not they just really gaming work. in a garage. <laughs> yeah, they work really hard. You're picturing like a bunch of guys in a basement with beards, right? And But yeah. it's real and they work incredibly hard and they work long hours. I found out about that stuff later. but uh, And I got hired. Uh, after you know studying games, because you know he's he's a very bright guy. He's still in the in the game industry. He's working as a senior producer at Avalanche. But uh, 
he'd said, you know, like, here's, you know, here's a bunch of these games. These are all kind of important ones, you know, within the history of, you know, game production, play them like it's a job, prepare for this, you know, don't just play them and be like, you know, I'm having fun, but you know, what, how do they work? Like, what is good about this? Mm, Can you tell how the systems are? Mm. Uh, What, what parts of it do you enjoy? What parts don't you enjoy? When you're progressing through the game, you know, what parts of it, you know, encourage you to continue to play? What parts make you want to quit? Uh, so I played games for like two months, like it was a job, like minimum eight to 10 hours a day on top of the other stuff that I was doing. And I think at one point I had four jobs. Uh, so it was kind of a lot, but got up to, to Norway for the, for the interview and I was well prepared and, and uh, walking through that company, I was, I was like 30, I think at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, just walking through the office as a 30-year-old man, I was old, right? <laughs> I was super old. And I'd actually had experience running running projects and doing project management. And they're like, well, why should we hire you? I was like, because I'm old. And they're like, what? <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm super old. It's like, you're running a daycare here. Like, <laughs> it's like. I'm pretty sure what happens here is like if you've got a team of people whose job it is to make monsters, you say, well, someone needs to be in charge of this group now because now we're big enough that there's a group and everyone goes, who should be in charge of the group of guys that make monsters? Well, it's Steve because Steve is the best guy at making monsters. But Steve might not be the best manager. Steve is just the best at making monsters. And if he's now supposed to manage all of these people, then what ends up happening is that now Steve is managing all these people. So, and managing them badly and now doesn't have time to make Mm -hmm. monsters anymore. So the quality's gone down, uh, the output of the team's gone down and everyone's unhappy. Is it true that you once had monster design on your business card as your job description? I did. I had, well, I didn't have a business (laughs) card, but my job title was monster designer. You should totally get a business card. (laughs) That was, I should have. Yes. And it was, it was a great conversation killer. Like my my parents blessed their hearts or, you know, very, you know, kind of traditional people. We'd be meeting, you know, people at like these little society kind of parties and they'd be like, oh, this is Colin. You know, what's he doing? Oh, he's working in software development. It's like, no, I'm a monster <laughs> designer, right? <laughs> it's like instant silence, conversation killer. But uh, it was that changed so totally. Fun. That was like like twenty years ago, but uh, or fifteen years ago, probably even. But now, now games so much more accepted. I think. Um, Absolutely yes. When mm-hmm. you say you're a video game developer, people are oh, I I get that. I've seen one of those. Did you mm-hmm. Do that Fortnite thing, or you know, it's <laughs> it's much more mainstream at this point. Yeah. The the game industry makes more money than the film industry. Uh, yeah. By a by a mm-hmm. lot. Right? By it's a lot, not actually. it's it's yeah. not even close. We kick their butts. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, if we're not accepted, then, you know, we don't care anymore. But uh, it was a, a just an, a, an amazing experience. I got really, really lucky that there was, you know, some people there. It wasn't up to my brother-in-law whether I'd be hired or not. And at that point, there was even, you know, kind of company policy that you couldn't work on the same project as your relative uh, because they didn't want any kind of, you know, weird power dynamics, you know, being, <laughs> or alliances being uh, found. How big was Funcom back then? How many people worked there? Uh, well, I think at the beginning when I got there, it was around maybe a hundred people or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when because they had recently moved sort of to the the new office because uh, they were in the first office and they got a little small, they moved to a big one, bigger one. 
And while I was there, I think they got up to something close to, you know, 350 or 400 people. Mm. That said, Funcom is the by far the biggest uh, game studio in uh, in Norway. Uh, yep. The Norwegian game industry is, is generally pretty small. It's um, like if you have 20 employees in the Norwegian game industry, you're uh, under the top 10 uh, in size in, in, in Norway. Yeah. So it's, no, a, it's a pretty pretty small co- uh, industry compared to the Swedish AAA heavy uh, games industry. Yeah, but uh, no, they were. Uh, it was an amazing place to work. I was really fortunate to get to work under some like amazing bosses, like Ola Schreiner, who has just recently left the company after being there for like it's like 19 years or something like that. Uh, he's he's finally you know gone off to do a new adventure, but he was an incredible person to learn from. Um, Craig Morrison, uh, who I, I worked for uh, there, went on to to work at Blizzard as well and. Mm-hmm. And Trond Ols uh, was an amazing CEO at the time, and managing to to get an operation of that size up and running, and you know keep all the bills paid and the lights on, and because uh, the games that we made were, you know, we thought they were great, but they were not exactly you know giant flag carrying commercial successes. Um, a lot of them did reasonably poorly financially, we could call it. But he managed to keep the the entire company, you know, running, and you know, no kind of mass layoffs. Uh, it was it was really kind of amazing what those guys did. But I, I learned a lot <laughs> working for that organization. Yeah, and you, you worked on pretty big titles. You were the game director on Anarchy Online, and yeah, um, and not I, sure about your title on Age of Conan, but you worked on Age of Conan too. I was like an associate producer mm. on that. Basically, what happened was the the game released, um, and things didn't go very well. Uh, so there was kind of a moment of panic within the company and uh, the people who had been, you know, doing some incredibly heavy lifting to, you know, making an MMO. You, you can't even imagine the amount of work that goes into something like that, bringing the online world of Conan to life. Uh, and there's never going to be enough time. There's never going to be enough resources. People are sleeping in the office uh, for weeks at a time, uh, months, I would think, uh, trying to get this stuff done. Uh, but when it came out and there were problems, I think the, the the management in charge of the project at that time had just kind of had enough. They were burnt out. So uh, uh, myself and uh, Craig Morrison sort of stepped in to try and, you know, not fix it, but stabilize it. Because it's like you buy the box and you get your month of playtime, right, with the box. Mm. Uh, and if after that month, uh, the, the game industry was, to a certain extent, a lot more honest back then which was, you know, buy the game. We hope you had fun. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, but there were subscription MMOs. Free-to-play was, it existed, but wasn't as big as it is now, where uh, the idea was if you're not having fun at the end of the month and you don't want to play it anymore, well, don't give us $15 for the next month. Uh, there mm, was no, exactly. there was no, it's free forever, but, you know, we're going to try and fool you into buying, you know, some T-shirt all the time to try and fund the game instead. But so at the end of the end of the first month after release, basically what happened was there was, you know, like a, the user numbers fell off a cliff because uh, there wasn't a huge number of people kind of resubscribing because there was a lot of problems with the game when it released. So uh, basically myself and Craig were just sort of thrown in there with the idea of, you know, you know it, everything is on fire. Just try and do what you can. Uh, so I was an associate producer on that for about six months. Um, my second child had recently been born. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a period of time there where 
people who worked there at the time would remember this, you know, weird guy running around with a clipboard and a baby. So <laughs> my my ex brought my my son, my older one, uh, who was about a year, uh, to the office in the afternoons so that she could actually have some kind of you know, quality time with the new child. So he got some of that, you know, emotional closeness time. Mm -hmm. uh, so she'd come by the office at like two o'clock in the afternoon because I wasn't going to be finishing work at 4.30 and going on and going home, like Norwegian rush hour at 3.30 in the afternoon. Like um, <laughs> I would be going home at seven. So I would be walking around the office with this baby and a clipboard and uh, trying to figure out you know, who to talk to, to fix different stuff, because the team was huge. There were so many people and they're all working so hard and just a crazy guy running around with a clipboard saying, you know, who's, you know, who's Steve, right? And someone puts their hand up in a corner. It's like, <laughs> I need to talk to you about, you know, this. And some of the bugs were hilarious. Like, um, thought them on or taught them on is like uh, one of the big bad guys in the Conan universe. And at some point or one of the patch cycles, um, Thothamon's uh, like mesh, his like his body and his animations got switched for a horse. Uh, somehow, it's like an accident. Or <laughs> so you imagine the cutscene where you know the messenger comes in and he's af he's afraid he's going to get killed by the bad guy who's receiving you know this message, and he's walking up and bowing low and you know lying <laughs> on the ground in front of what is now a horse. And, and of course the dialogue still plays. So it's like uh, some kind of weird Chimerian version of Mr. Ed, but uh, <laughs> those were some of the issues that we had to deal with. I'm so happy for that funny. company. Now they've had such amazing success uh, during the last yeah, couple of years. Seem to do, do, do well now. Oh, they're doing great. They're, yeah. uh, they're uh, Conan exiles. It was like mm. the survival uh, version of uh, the Conan game world is fantastic. It's a great game. It's a lot of fun. It's been very commercially successful. Uh, the company had many you know, difficult, challenging years. Uh, and under the new CEO, uh, Rui has managed to kind of pull mm. stuff together. And now they've got something very solid working. Uh, Tencent actually came in and purchased the company. Yeah, now they're a part of the biggest game company in the world. So hopefully mm. that'll stabilize things even more. But I'm really looking forward to seeing that the next cool stuff they, they put together. Yeah, they also publish now. So um, yeah, also it's it's great following them. Yeah, um, uh, like I mentioned, the party where where we met earlier. Like uh, it was just you know I yeah. got a note from a friend that you know hey we're a few people are going to get together for like a little reunion, a fun uh, reunion, yeah, the, the Funcom <laughs> reunion, and it was supposed to be you know fifteen twenty people, um, and I'm like no I'm not missing this. I, I even brought my kids up to Oslo on the train and left them like at a friend's house so I could attend. Right. And it wasn't, you know, 10, 20 people. It ended up being like a hundred people showed yeah, up. We had, we had date night that day. So I actually, I actually came along. I never worked for Funcom. So I actually kind of illegally sneaked into the party, which isn't my favorite pub in Oslo. That said, the <laughs> Dubliners in Oslo, if you ever go to Oslo, that's the pub to go to. <laughs> yep. It's a wonderful spot. But mm. uh, it was such an amazing kind of warm and like wonderful group of people that, you know, if we're going to have a reunion, it's like almost 10 years since I've worked there, uh, going there and having all of those people there all at once. Like I, I met you that evening, but yes, I, I get the idea that, you know, I, I wanted to see everybody who was there, 
but it mm-hmm. ended up being you've got like three minutes <laughs> just spent with and i only got to be there for two and a half hours i think because i had my kids at somebody else's house um but yeah it's just such an amazing experience and getting to see all of those people again and the uh, guy who worked... it was also a very good mood. It seemed that the people oh, yeah. people back then working together because most of them didn't work in Funcom anymore. So most of them no. stopped and uh, quit quit somewhere, or the project was uh, done. And and in, in games, you often work for one project, and when the project is done, you move on. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed that people really liked each other, which was was very nice to see. Yeah, it was a mm. wonderful experience. Like there's, I'm I'm still in touch with just about everybody uh, that I worked with back then. Uh, I wish nice. I'd uh, at least all those people I could pick up a phone and 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 call and there's a very good chance we'd all want to talk together again. Uh, the new venture I'm putting together has a number of Funcom veterans in it, so that that will be fun. We've uh, been thinking that the name of the studio that we're we're looking at founding should reflect that somehow, but we're gonna have to get to that when it happens. But uh, that that uh, evening was was amazing. But uh, yeah, no, it was just not enough time that were good kind of laughs. There was a guy who happened to be at that pub the same evening. He wasn't part of the plan, but he'd been the guy who had worked at the gas station uh, directly, really? bes- directly beside the Funcom <laughs> office. Cool. And he sold all of us like hot dogs, right? For, he fed for, you for years. For years, right? <laughs> and, and he's looking around and he's like, Colin and I was like, Shetil, and I was like, oh my god, like, did you come here for this? And he's like, no, I had no idea. So like the hot dog guy, and it's like everybody recognizes him almost more than anybody else who's who's worked there because everyone's seen the hot dog guy so many times. It's like this must be like just the most amazing like bizarre you know time machine moment for you he's like this is really strange it's like all these people are sold hot dogs to it's like a hot dog reunion for me but it's like a video <laughs> game company reunion for you but uh, no it's uh that was a, an amazingly positive experience but uh getting I actually in the think door there the, like... the hot dog guy is a really good um um possibility to change the topic to one of my um ideas I have for this podcast too which is I want to share uh, I'm a foodie I really would like to share uh, one recipe that means something to my guests and you will also find this recipe on the blog uh, learnfromastranger.com and I will call this uh, part of my of my um, uh, podcast the pantry so uh, you prepared a, a recipe um, that you will share with us uh, would you like to tell me what it is Absolutely. And where it comes from. Well, this is, uh, I don't know how kind of Canadian it is, but it was always a very special treat that I associate with kind of, you know, summertime. Uh, my family very much liked to barbecue, uh, but I believe that, you know, parts of my family would get a little bit tired of, you know, constant, you know, like meat or like, you know, like a like chicken on the barbecue. There's only so many times you can do that during the course of like a couple long months summer. So this was a little kind of alternative thing uh that i remember from being a kid and it's something called a plank salmon mm-hmm. um and i don't know if, if this you know kind of makes the grade of foodie kind of stuff but it's a very unique experience and one of the parts i like about it is it's fantastic it's delicious and to a certain extent it's incredibly easy to do um and it's one of the only recipes where you know it it asks you to buy wood 
There's, this does not happen often. Um, okay. How? how, how? So, so <laughs> the, 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 you get some uh, kind of significant size, like salmon uh, fillets. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, before you get anywhere near food, you've got to go out and purchase some cedar planks. Cedar's a specific kind of wood. Mm-hmm. Um, so untreated, so they're not supposed to be like, uh, you know, chemically treated to last outside or something like that. Uh, and then these cedar planks need to actually be submerged in, in warm water so that they have a chance to absorb water uh, because the water keeps them from catching fire, so to speak. Uh, so they've got to soak in the warm water for, you know, at least an hour, uh, probably more, like two or three, if you've got the time or if you're organized enough. Uh, because the idea is what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, put some, uh, like, olive oil uh, on the top of, of the plank after we take it out of the water uh, to make it so the salmon isn't going to stick to the plank. And then we're going to coat the salmon with just kind of normal teriyaki sauce. Uh, mm-hmm. that you would get basically in almost any grocery store in the world, uh, like a marinade. You know, pour it into a bowl, and then you would paint paint the teriyaki sauce you know, generously over the top of uh, the salmon fillet that you placed on top of the, the cedar plank uh, that has been coated in olive oil because you don't want the fish to stick to the plank later. And then you preheated the barbecue, so it's, it's running at quite a nice warm heat, and you put the whole plank... Uh, on the barbecue with the salmon on the top. Uh, and uh, basically, you know, it's going to be uh, about 20 minutes. But it's like a gas, a gas grill, but you're like a, a, a gas grill yeah. or, or, uh, or charcoal. It, 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 it doesn't matter as long as it's like but heat. You put the underneath. lock on, right? Like sort of, yes, the you heat put, sticks. Mm. that's right. You put the lid on top, but what's going to happen is it's going to kind of like, you know, heated obviously, but you're also going to be like uh, the the heat and the this kind of steam from from the wood underneath is going to you know kind of go through the salmon, uh, mm-hmm. and it's basically you know creates this really interesting like cedar teriyaki salmon flavor that's absolutely amazing. That sounds and, really delicious. Yeah. And for people who are uh, we'll call it less you know less. Uh, you know, inclined to do amazing things in the kitchen. This is actually very difficult to screw up. <laughs> the only thing you can do wrong is not soak the board. If you don't soak the board, then what happens is you just created a fire with some salmon on it. <laughs> uh, but the flavors are amazing. They go really well together. Uh, and it pairs nicely with like a summer salad or like a Caesar salad mm. in the summer. And I've seen those boards in, in kitchen where stores and departments. Yeah. So this is there's nothing super fancy and no, hard to get hold of. You can actually no, no. just buy it in the store and for yeah, last you, forever, for the last yeah, lifetime. Yeah, you don't have to always go to like the hardware store to find them. You can, <laughs> or to the lumber yard. A lot of the stores will have them, but it's very simple and straightforward. Um, and again, very, very difficult to kind of mess up. Um, I love it. It's delicious. Um, it's making me want yeah. to do it now. Yeah, maybe maybe we should, uh, next time you come over, or if you actually ever manage to come over, but if Corona ever has stopped. Yeah, so <laughs> because terrible. Sweden has a very different approach to Corona than the rest of Europe. So 
it basically has been impossible for us to go to Sweden or to the Swedes to come to Norway. It was, uh, you were not allowed to without going in quarantine forever. Yes. So uh, we couldn't visit each other. I have a few Swedish friends I want to do a visit this summer and um, we were not allowed to. No, it's, so maybe it's, next summer. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Uh, like my 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 girlfriend is uh, Norwegian, and uh, she did me the the great honor and the, the brave, uh, you know, thing to do, which was moved in with me uh, just after <laughs> Christmas last year. And her poor mother was like, "You're gonna have to come and visit because you know it's, you're my only daughter, and you know my sons. It's not the same. You know, you've you've got to come and visit. I've got to be able to come see you. And it's like, well, you're welcome as soon as you want to." You know, anytime you want to come down, you know, we have space for you. Just come down. Um, and then we had this kind of Corona stuff pop up like in March um, and everybody sort of shut down. So now it's it's cruising up towards sort of 11 months without being able to see her family or, you know, see her mother. It's just mm. it's it's terrible. Ah, it's the, really terrible. And if we'd been, you know, sort of out, of the, out in the middle of Norway or in the middle of Sweden, uh, you know, maybe it would be one thing, but we're in Stockholm, which has been kind of the, the epicenter of this, this crap. Uh, and everyone's been sort of working from home since March. We started working from home the 18th of March. Uh, so it's very soon going to be many, many months working from home. But, uh, yeah, it's a good, good relationship so. test, actually, you know, like, <laughs> move in together and then get quarantined together and then work from home together for for like a year that's but, true uh, yeah that's actually true when you when you don't know each other that well yet then uh, this must be uh you, oh, you must know by now if she's the one <laughs> she is she's absolutely wonderful i'm incredibly fortunate and uh, very very lucky but uh yeah and it's you're, we could go into Norway, but then we would have to quarantine ourselves for two weeks before we could see anybody else. And, and it would be possible for her mother to come and visit us here in Stockholm. It's, you know, people aren't standing at the border with a gun saying you can't come in here. You can come. But, but then when she would go back to Norway, then she would have to quarantine herself for, for two weeks. Yeah, uh, which 10 days it's now. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a long time. And if you're you're working, it's a lot of vacation to take. You've got to take the vacation oh. to be away, and then the vacation to when yeah. you get back. Well, if you work home office, it's possible though. It 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 is, but uh, I've been I, in quarantine three times already. Three times already. <laughs> yeah. So it's absolutely possible as long as you work home office, because it's no difference. Like when I was in quarantine, my I, of course I told my employee uh, employer that like I'm in I'm in quarantine, but it really made absolutely zero difference because I work yeah. from home anyway. And I wasn't sick. It's like, you know, I was just not allowed to go shopping. <laughs> it's like the basic, yeah. basic difference. So Morton had to do the shopping, um, which, which was my, the biggest uh, difficulty for me because he didn't buy what I want to have. <laughs> <laughs> like I gave him this, this meter long list of, because we're six people, right? Yeah. So we eat a lot. And when he goes shopping, he goes shopping for like, okay, I need one tiny little piece of butter. So I buy the smallest <laughs> butter I need. They have. And because he, he buys like this one recipe, but we're six people. We eat like kilos of food every day. Yeah. And I'm used in like, I probably buy too much food. I'm used to like thinking big when it comes to food and, 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 and have like the entire household in mind. And I know what's in the pantry and it's in the freezer. And I just really like that. Yep. So I wrote him like this long shopping list uh, and it was, I just came back from Austria. I was in Austria for a few weeks and then I was quarantined when I came back and I knew like everything is empty. So I made a list, like go in this shop, 
And on the right side, you have this shelf. And then in the front, you have this shelf. And I just wrote from shelf to shelf what you should buy. And then I sent him there. And uh, I wrote the shop like, um, if, he, if, if he doesn't manage to buy stuff, please pack it. And he will pick it up. And then yeah. he... He actually went there and 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 he said, no, 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 I can get it. So I wrote them, okay, never mind, he will get it. <laughs> and, and then he, he went there and it was like a, a A4 side, normal size written uh, full, like really full. It was like a lot of food. And after half of it, he just gave up. Yep, <laughs> he, just, he just completely gave up and came home with like a third of the stuff. <laughs> and before he came came home and knew that because he wrote me like somebody looks really lost here. I think I found your husband. Your <laughs> <laughs> well, your your husband for the other people who don't know was uh, another previous game director for for Anarchy Online, and I worked for him too. I learned a lot from him as well. But uh, it would be good preparation to being like a parent of four kids running a video game project group. Same kind of like level of maturity, but. He must have been I think, really I think that's why, why I got hired, because I, I got hired in uh, Makeup Pop, uh, which is run by Jürgen Thorelsen. I yep. worked with him. Um, yes, he's amazing. A fantastic guy. I like him a lot. And I think that was the reason he hired me. He's like, you know how to deal with four kids. Um, yep. you, will, you will be able to deal with us then. And it was basically how he welcomed us. Um, <laughs> one of the founders of Makeup Pop, uh, together with Jürgen, uh, it was like a... a Christian and Thomas and Jürgen founded the company together. And uh, and uh, Thomas then actually said to me, my, I think it was my second birthday or something, he's like, you're going to be our new mommy. Yep, new mommy. <laughs> and it's how it kids. felt. Oh. <laughs> but you were, you were in Austria for two weeks, so Morton would have had to deal with, you know, four children by himself. That would be... <laughs> well, I have to say that... Um, in, in, in Scandinavia, it's uh, thankfully a little bit different. That like it's not you're not supposed as a mother to be the only one who takes no, care no, of no. kids. Which means that if he leaves for two weeks, people would also ask me how I'm doing with that. Which Absolutely. in other countries wouldn't be the case. So um, actually, for for a matter of uh, fact, that Morten is actually the main caregiver for our youngest. So oh, okay. when after started bre- stopped breastfeeding with about two years, he actually just she would change the role and I'm not the main contact anymore for our youngest because like they always switch a bit back and forth between mommy and daddy, but usually they have to like this one main person. Like if they hit themselves and both standing close by, who is the one they run to? <laughs> and it's, it's actually Morton. Um, he's doing most of the, the, the daily routines uh, with our youngest. And so it's, it doesn't, yeah, he's doing a great job with the kids, of course. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I have mm. two. And, you know, two always felt like uh, a, a handful. So, you know, I'm not even sure I can visualize four. A, a lot of time yeah. I would I would borrow uh, extra children, right? Because a lot of the time it would be if I'm, you know, going to going to the park or, you know, some kind of play place with the kids. Uh, if I would bring two of their friends, then it would actually be less work, right? Because they're, it is. they're it not going to fight with each other. Now they're going to play with their friends. It was much, much better. Yeah. Um, I did it yesterday. I actually borrowed two kids and went to this little museum thing and they, they had a great time, mm. but, uh, mine are, mine are older. They're like, uh, you know, 12 and 13. So they're starting to be, you know, big smelly guys with opinions, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I have one of those in the house as well. <laughs> yeah. He's getting uh, 13 in just a few days. And, um, my first teenager in the house, I'm very excited about it. 
it's well it's 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 uh it's an interesting experience my kids are really good i can't complain uh, but um no and uh, uh you know funcom was was a great interesting experience but uh at the the end of that we we moved over to montreal and what we found was that uh you know what was on the brochure and what was actually in the experience were you know not the same things uh montreal is one of uh or quebec in Canada is the only state province in Canada that has government subsidized daycare. Mm -hmm. So in that it's very similar to Scandinavia where this is a part and parcel of, you know, having a family and raising kids. Uh, But when we got over there, what we discovered was it's like, yes, there is government subsidized daycare, but the time to sign up for the ones that are fully funded by the state is actually that amazing moment where you've had a second date with that girl who might be the one. Like, make up a name. Put the kid in line. Uh, because all of those ones that were good, uh, they had waiting lists of many years to get in. Uh, so, basically, the our kids had grown up with, like, uh, their daycare had been in the Norwegian People's Museum. I dropped them off there every morning. And they would oh, walk really? around and look yeah. at the cows and go through all the buildings and it was outside and it was amazing and got over to French Canada and, you know, bless their hearts. They're doing the best they can, but it was, you know, we're going to be in this room all day cause it's, you know, minus 15 and there isn't an outside part of the daycare. We have to walk like half a kilometer to the park. So we're just not going to do that. So you, you would drop them off and they would all sit in a room all day and be bored. So oh, it, really? That's yeah, so... it was, it wasn't yeah. good. So for the, the sake of the children, I had to, uh, you know, leave the company and move back to Sweden. And where I ended up was uh, running an online, uh, another MMO world called Star Stable. I was the, you know, oh, I, I heard guess, of that. That's yes. the that's the World of Warcraft for uh, for girls. That we was about exactly what it was. It was the the goal was make World of Warcraft for girls. Uh, the the original name of the company was actually World of Horsecraft, which was kind of funny. <laughs> um, it's like you know. Uh, you know, dad giggle joke kind of name, but uh, the company actually had a horrible time raising funding uh, to get started when they were trying to call it Star Stable at the beginning. But when they called the company World of Horsecraft, people would giggle and then they would be like, I immediately understand what you're trying to do. But I was the CEO there for three years um, and we started with, you know, like three or four people making the game. And then there was like one person who was doing customer service, which was you know, answering the emails that would come to a Gmail account. Uh, and then <laughs> by the time I left the company, uh, we had, I think it was like 55 people working there. Uh, oh, that's a lot. And we had yeah. uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, subscribers. Uh, and we had, I think we'd had about six and a half million registered users at that point. Because it was a very interesting market. I really wanted to do something different when I when I left Funcom, and uh, it was still games, but it was very different—a very different audience. And uh, trying to find that audience and centralize it was incredibly challenging. Because you know, I, it's like you would think you grab Justin Bieber and you know tattoo Star Stable on his forehead. You know, you're not <laughs> going to get people who want to play a horse game. What you're going to get is a lot of people who are interested in Justin Bieber. So actually finding a way to do that and this was kind of like the the birth years of like online marketing as well like when we started the company it wasn't possible to place ads on facebook or target them 
uh, Google AdWords was new. Um, so it was really, really interesting times. We were the second. Actually, a lot happened the last year when you think of that. It's really not that long ago that no. all those things started and now it's so natural to us. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, we yeah. were the second company in the world. The first was Spotify uh, to have, you know, log in with Facebook. Really? Oh, yeah. So it was uh, really interesting times. That's something we do every day now. <laughs> yep, absolutely. You don't even think about it. But all, right. all of these technologies and all how you would use them and how you would work with them were all very new. And you would think that, you know, making a pony game, these wouldn't be a particularly, you know, big part of the challenge of what you were going to do. But it was really probably about 60% of the work that we were doing was finding a way to work with our customers and find our customers and get their, our customers to find us. Uh, it was a fantastic, interesting experience. We'll, we'll see what, what I get up to next. Um, the games I was working on at, at, at Toadman, which is now part of uh, EG7, uh, unfortunately aren't released yet. So I, I can't really talk about what I was working on with those, but uh, I'm wishing those guys an awful lot of luck as well. That's another small group of guys that's gone from, uh, geez, since I sort of 20 guys in a basement less than three years ago to I think now they're they're closing in on being worth four billion kroner on the uh, on the Swedish exchange. It's all pretty exciting stuff. Mm. Seven studios, I think, at this point. I might be wrong. I always have to stop to count. But uh, no, that was uh, Mm -hmm. it's it's been interesting times, and Mm. uh, I think I've been very very lucky to get into the game industry. It was only only by accident, but uh, remember the first time we had a resume come in where someone had actually graduated from the uh, uh, <laughs> Stockholm University yeah, School of Game Design. There's quite a lot of universities now is, yeah. where you can study game design. And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, like you could amazing. study f- film when I went to university in the 90s, right? Um, so the idea that you would be able to study you know, video game design and development in university makes perfect sense. It's a bigger industry than film. So, yeah, that makes sense. But the first time we had a resume come in with an actual graduate from a university program in in video game development and design, we're like, what is this? Look at this. This is amazing. He made that up. (laughs) Yeah, this can't be real. We we definitely we Googled it to find out if it existed or not. We were were kind of blown away. And uh, actually, she we, we did hire her and she was exceptional. Absolutely amazing brought up the standard of everybody else around her. Uh, she ended up becoming the technical director of design for DICE, uh, the company that makes Battlefield, for uh, oh. the people who don't know. Uh, Miss Miss Fia, absolutely outstanding uh, designer and leader. So we got, we got really lucky finding her. But uh, it definitely made her resume stand out at the time. I also have another section in, in my podcast I would mention, I'd like to mention now, um, before before we have, um, roll up here. And that's, um, I ask every every guest of mine to send me one picture for the blog that describes home for them in a way. Uh, and you actually didn't pick a picture from Canada. You picked a picture from, from Stockholm where you sit on, a, on your boat. And it's a very special boat. I think I actually seen it before on, on, on Facebook where you posted a picture of it too. It's like a, a wood boat, very pretty. Yes, um, it's a, a wooden strip canoe. Yes. Yes, um, it's very, very I, fancy and pretty. It's like like kids paint a boat. That's pretty much how it looks. It's uh, yeah. very, uh, very nice. You know, I've, I'm, I'm Canadian, so I've you know been lucky enough to grow up around water during the summers. And I've always been kind of canoeing when I was a kid. I love it. 
there's something really special about getting out on the water uh, on a boat that doesn't have a motor, so it doesn't make any noise. So it's just peaceful and quiet. Um, and at the same time, you get good exercise when you're out using it. I only bought this canoe this year. Um, I've been living by the water uh, in uh, in Sweden for, geez, about the last 10 years. And uh, this year I was like, I, uh, because we weren't going to, usually I go to Canada in the summers. And I go to our family summer cottage and my canoe is, is in Canada. Uh, but this summer we weren't going to be able to go because of, you know, Corona reasons. And I was like, I can't, you know, do an entire summer without going out in a canoe. So I was looking to find someone who built these uh, uh, here in, in, in Sweden. And uh, I found one company, but they wanted about sort of 35, 40,000 kroner for these things. Oh, yeah. uh, and I wasn't quite, you know, I wanted one, but not quite that badly. Um, and I was just browsing, you know, keeping an eye on it. And uh, someone put one up that they'd built themselves uh, on like this auction site. And I was like, nobody puts a canoe on an auction site. No one's going to bid on this thing. So it's like, you know, I'm going to bid on this thing right now. And it was uh, sort of a four hour drive to the this guy's house in the middle of you know nowhere in Sweden. It took us forever to find it. It wasn't even on the GPS. Uh, and then to drive sort of you know three and a half four hours back uh, with this boat. But it's been you know, worth every penny. Just love it. That um, oh, looks fantastic. And the picture you sent me is um, is a picture where you're paddling the canoe and you have a cat sitting with you in the boat. Yes, Con. <laughs> Yes, Khan Khan came out for a ride with us. He's a very you know relaxed Siamese. Um, he's named Khan after you know the bad guy in Star Trek. Uh, yeah. It mm. makes it way more fun to call him in the house because uh, you can scream it and uh, <laughs> he comes running. It's good fun. But yeah, so I know you're he's a nerd. Uh, you even name your your absolutely. cats <laughs> Of course. Yeah. Well, I've got a whole house full of like video game figures and posters and stuff as well, right? So uh, there's. There's no need to be shy about it. That's one of the things I love about nerd culture, right? Is that we've picked the things that we're excited about, that we're passionate about. And we don't really care what anybody else thinks. We're just going to enjoy the things that we love, which is, uh, yeah. it's, it's as soon as you like, you know, recognize that I don't, I am not going to care what other people think. I'm just going to be passionate about the things that I enjoy. It's such a wonderful sense of freedom and, and enjoyment. Yeah. Like, I always thought it. I was like, I'm not a nerd. I'm not a geek. And I call it called. I, I got called a geek quite quite often actually in my life. And I'm like, I, I don't work in IT. That was before before my times in, in games. I was actually a politician before, so I worked as a politician. So like, I'm I'm not I'm not an IT. I'm not a nerd. Um, but I grew up around nerds and geeks. My my brother uh, is, works in IT, and and he you know he played like um, pen and paper uh, role play games basically my entire life because he's older than me so I kind of grew up with it but I never for me it was so normal that I never figured how it was for people outside that didn't know that uh, that I understood like the nerd language but I never played like MMOs I never liked them until today I don't like them um, because I don't like running around so for me it's like to run around in a game is like really pulling me off um yeah. But now I live in a house with like 3D printers and the hydroponic <laughs> system. 
and uh, I basically live in my virtual reality headset. Like the second the kids go to bed, I'm like popping it on, and that's my really? bar. And oh yes, I love it. <laughs> Was it a VR chat? Is it that one or? Uh, uh, seldom. I usually are, uh, I'm in big screen, but right now a lot of my friends are moving over to VR chat. Um, but I used them all. I tried Old Space VR, and like I really tried all the social platforms. And the thing is, I got the quest. Um, I'm on the quest on the first first edition of the quest. And um, I got it last year, long before Corona came. Yeah. And I'm so used to it because like in Norway, a beer costs like eight bucks in a bar. Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> and I come from Austria. So I'm used to like, you know, once or twice or three times a week, even go quick out for lunch, have a beer, have a wine together with people and then go home again. And it's a very social way of drinking alcohol, I guess. Um, but here in Norway, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cut off of that. I'm cut off of being that kind of social that I'm used to. And what I find out is if I have a VR set and I meet people virtually, it feels a lot like being in a bar. And I go always to the same space. I always open the same room or join the same people kind of, and then just a few new people come in. So it feels a lot like it's it's my bar. Um, and I drink a beer together with them. And, you know, you have like the three, four people you always have. And you kind of a group and then other people just come in and you meet them for the first time. And maybe later they get one of those, you know, regulars. Uh, and they really enjoy that. It's, uh, so, so the Corona lockdown really wasn't that big of a deal for me personally, because I didn't miss my entire social connection. I still have a big part of my social connections in virtual reality. Yeah. So the Oculus Quest, mm-hmm. uh, the Quest 2 is being released uh, tomorrow. Apparently. I know. I'm very aware of it. <laughs> it's kind of strange that it's like the. I'm just looking at it real quick, and it's like the 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 Quest Two is is still significantly cheaper than the Quest One. Uh, yeah, yeah. The thing is, like Oculus uh, made quite a few headsets by now, and they stopped now supporting the Go. The Go was basically their very cheap standalone headset. Uh, you had like one controller. It's it's the one you will meet in most of museums because it costed like two hundred bucks. It's really easy to yeah. set up. It's really easy to configure. It was basically made for being an entry model to virtual reality and to borrow away. So museums bought like fifty of them and then you know had them for 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 the guests. Um, but they now stop supporting it and it's 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 aging as well to go. And it was a very weak headset, so it couldn't keep up with uh, the the new technology. Yeah, we, so what we, we do had, is to make a new second cheap headset, basically. Mm. Yeah, we had the uh, the Vive at home. Mm. I got one of the first setups here in Sweden. We were very very early, but uh, the, I think it was about fifteen thousand uh, kroner, so like fifteen hundred dollars uh, US uh, to buy the just the headset bit, mm. and then the computer was like another eighteen hundred dollars to be able to run it well. Um, mm. But unfortunately, you know, you lose some things in the divorce. You gain others. Uh, so they, this, <laughs> this stayed at this. My VR set stayed with the kids, right? So it's I don't I don't have one now. But I was just a little surprised to see the first version. The Oculus Quest One is like seven thousand kroner, and the Oculus Quest Two is you know, four and a half. That's 
I'm really. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not sure. Uh, not not sure why. Um, I think they're pretty pretty similar actually. Um, but don't ask me on the on the tech. Yeah, yeah I'm, gonna have, to, I'm gonna have to do some research because mm. you know at some point I want to do that. But yeah. so yeah, and I've got friends that have been telling me that like this VR chat's just absolutely amazing and just kind of running around together in this virtual world and having all sorts of games together. And the thing is that in in VR chat, which is really cool, is you can also if if you know what you're doing, you can also build your own worlds and invite others to it and you can make your own avatars and invite others to it there's some limitations for quest users because again it's a standalone headset you like you buy it what it means is like you buy it you log in with, like uh, i connected it with my facebook account on my phone but uh, before you didn't even have to do that and that's it like you don't need sensors you don't need a computer you don't need anything you just take the headset you pop it on that's it. You download whatever you want to download. You need an internet connection. That's all you need. While with other headsets, like the wife you mentioned and, and, yeah, and a lot of others. The lighthouses, need... they're sensing where you are in the room. Yeah, yeah well, they go further and further away from the sensors, but still, yeah, some of them need sensors and they're very sensible. So if you touch them a little bit, they don't work anymore. And most important, you need a computer that pulls the graphic weight of it. So you need a pretty expensive yeah. computer if you want to have a really good um, um, uh, if you want to have a good experience and a lot of people don't have that it's really costly to have a good yep. computer it's costly to do that and also you cannot bring your headset anywhere while the question why I like it so much is I bring it anywhere like if I yep. travel somewhere I always pack it and it works with pretty shitty internet uh, in, in a hotel as well it, it yeah, just so works it's, it's like you yeah, pop it on and it no works cables. Just, you need uh, no cables you need nothing and um, it's it's pretty heavy. It can be uncomfortable if you wear it a long time, but you also get used to it. Like I wear it six hours at a time as well sometimes. And um, if you have a fun night, like I, I had dancing nights and clubbing nights in in VR, um, which is awesome because like you have good beer, it's cheap. There's no line on the toilet. <laughs> you can basically dance in your underwear if you want to, or like you know you okay, don't have that's... heels, nothing hurts. Like it's amazing. Okay, I'm definitely gonna have to pick up. You know pick up one of these and try it at this point because it sounds like a lot of fun oh yeah let me know we will we can meet in there it's, it's amazing i really like it so um yeah so back to that i don't think i can say anymore i'm not a nerd or geek i think i lost that battle yep. <laughs> <I think. laughs> it's just how it is now <laughs> Absolutely. but it's also not a bad thing anymore like my my son calls himself a nerd and he's very proud of it um yep. So Basically, it's got you know significant journey, nerd genes, right? Like you know, the, his, his dad was a uh, uh, you know supreme being of an online world, right? That's you're not. <laughs> no, no, no. He's he's uh, Morton is not the father of my oldest son, but oh, okay, uh, well, sorry. he's a big influence. We lived together since since he's four years old. So my son can barely remember life without Morton. So of course he has been a huge influence on him and. Yeah, and the, the last years, it's like the years that a kid really remembers. I worked in the game industry uh, and I brought him to work in there and, you know, like he, he sees what we're doing and Morton is playing um, World of Tanks at the moment, like excessively. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> of course, he sees that and uh, he's he got an Xbox last year. So he's like in um, in uh, Fortnite and Overwatch World. And also here in the area where I live in this tiny little suburban town, uh, we started an eSport group now just a few months back. So we are actually members of an eSports club, <laughs> training up to probably be good enough at one point to go national uh, and play against others. So <laughs> Good fun. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, but yeah, nerd heaven, I guess. 
Yeah, absolutely. But no, I'm going to have to look into it. I'm going to have to yeah. get some kind of VR you know, setup going on here. Yeah. I think we have a PSVR setup that we've never actually plugged in or used. <laughs> you have to try that. Yeah, I heard I heard uh, quite a lot of people saying that uh, with PSVR, you cannot really join those social experiences as well, but it's probably worth to try. Um, we'll have to look at it. But, yeah. uh, but no, it's, it's a good thing you mentioned it because I did not know that the... Uh, that the Quest 2 was was coming out like tomorrow. And if you're okay with just 64 gigabytes of memory, you can get one for like three and a half thousand crowns or $350, which is pretty good. I got the big Quest 1 and I have to say it was a waste of money to pay extra for more space and never needed it. Uh, I think if you like want to watch movies on it and bring it on the plane and stuff, it might be worth it because then you can download the movies on your Quest and then watch them there. But I never did that, um, so it was a waste of money for me. So a small one would have been definitely enough. Okay, so you're not you're not using the space. Okay. Not at all. Like I always have this one, two, three apps I play the most, and then it's just I could deinstall all the others really if I needed more space. So okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I think that's a very good end for this episodes uh, for this episode. So um, <laughs> go There's get a, a quest. Of- <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun getting to talk to you. And, yeah, uh, it was a, I think you're the perfect guest for the podcast because I always wanted to make it learn, learn, get to know strangers, learn from strangers. That's the whole point of it. And I think um, as we two always wanted to meet anyway, this was a perfect opportunity to get in touch. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> let's hope this Corona thing ends soon so we can get up to visit you or you guys can come down to visit us. Oh, yes. Yes, I hope so. And otherwise, we just meet uh, in virtual reality, I guess. Yeah, we'll have to to get that all set up. (laughs) VR chat. What was the other one that you said you're using? Um, VR chat? I I use big screen mostly. It's a a movie uh, theater. Um, It's an amazing concept because, like, you can buy movie tickets and go actually to the movies. So if you're, like, handicapped or have social anxieties, you can still go to the movies. Um, And it has a lot of this movie feel there. What's what's is it? Pix stream or big stream? Big what? screen, like a big screen. A big screen. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so I'll yeah. Have to look that up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And also, also for our for listeners, we can we can we can meet in big screen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you for for your time, Colin, and thank you for listening to uh, Learn from a Stranger. If you want to see Colin with his cat paddling in a canoe, uh, go on uh, learnfromastranger.com, and I will also put the salmon recipe there. So um, uh, if you want to taste that, you will uh, get the details there too. Thank you Perfect. so much, and have a nice day. Bye.